Welcome to Salmate, a podcast where we talk about animated movies. We take two and like kind of throw a Venn diagram over them and see what sticks, like they're spaghetti. Uh, I am Dick Ward. I'm Kate Phillips. That's right, you, you are. You, and, are, you uh, are coming in hot. This is a yeah, fast opening. Okay, I'm, I'm ready to roll. You got to get on that submarine. That's right, <laughs> I got to get on that submarine. Uh, <laughs> um, Thrown off my flow. Kate. Sorry. Most of the movies that we talk about are Disney. Not always. They're often good musicals. Uh, not always. And they're often good. Not always. This is weird because we're recording in separate rooms. We are. Um, and not just because uh, we're in the same room most of the day, all day long. Um, most of our lives. Period. It's because we have a special guest today. Hey, hey No, I'm here guest. every week. Uh, it's me. It's Andy Phillips. <laughs> it's Andy. Brother of the show. Aww. Brother of the podcast. Andy we are Phillips. in three rooms now, not just we two. Are. <laughs> we are. And two states? And two That's states. Correct. Um, Andy, would you describe yourself as the brother bear of the podcast? Um, A little bit. Or maybe like uh, the the pan pan of the, of the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's... Dick just <laughs> dubbed himself a panda last episode. Oh, well, uh, <laughs> Kate, Kate asked, Kate asked me if I was a uh, if I was a karate animal, which one would I be? And I was like, Kung Fu. Excuse me. Sorry, you. Kung Fu. I was like, Yeah, probably the panda. <laughs> but that's different than Pan Pan. That's those are two different that, things. Those are two different pandas. That's fair. Yes. Yeah. Um. Yeah. Um. Andy. Yes. In uh, in the state you're in, what what are you drinking? I am, I am drinking a uh, Gatorade Frost Thirst Quencher, which is uh, the Glacier Freeze <laughs> flavor, oh which is God. the blue Gatorade. A, <laughs> no, thir- a Thirst blue Quencher. Gatorade. No, but a Thirst Quencher, unlike most drinks. <laughs> this is making me flashback to Dick reading me every flavor there is of Mountain Dew. Like a couple nights ago, as we were going to bed, I am there are sorry, so Kate, many flavors of Mountain Dew, and they all have these names that are like thirty <laughs> words long. There's Quencher Extreme, Code Purple, only best, available at the, KFC at breakfast. The best one was yeah, the Taco Bell one, which was Mountain Dew mixed with orange juice. Oh no! And it was only available at breakfast at Taco oh. Bell breakfast. It was like but a Gimosa or something. Yeah. yeah. But not to be co- too confused with the other Taco Bell Mountain Dew. Exclusive. Baja Fresh, the best Mountain Dew there is. Yes. Right. Yeah. Uh, apparently. Yeah. Is that your favorite too, Andy? I mean, favorite is a big term for Mountain Dew. <laughs> but yeah, it's enjoyable. It doesn't make you feel like you just, I don't know, ate a battery. That's I haven't had Mountain Dew in a while. <laughs> It's been some time. This is wild to me because I don't drink like pop in general, but like not only does everyone know that Taco Bell has its own flavor of Mountain Dew, which I just learned last week, but it's like everyone's favorite as well. It's well, wild. It's the best one. 
I, I guess. Oh, I don't mean to correct you on your own podcast, Dick, but um, it's Baja Blast, not Baja Fresh. Oh my Fresh. God, I said Baja Fresh. Yeah, that's, oh, that's, that's, that's a different chain of fast <laughs> no, food. That, no, that's the, that's the Mountain Dew uh, um, uh, laundry detergent, <laughs> Baja Fresh. <laughs> Yeah, Andy, uh, you're oh allowed God. to correct me when it's something important like that. <laughs> you're welcome. Okay, thank you. I, I, there's a time and place, and it was then, so I didn't want yeah. your listeners to be um, uh, confused and baffled. Don't worry, I'll, uh, I'll, I'll send them after you. Okay. <laughs> oh, good. So, so okay, Andy so what, what is blue. this? What is this? Yeah, and I'm drinking Dick, blue Gatorade. Okay, and Dick, what are you drinking? Uh, I'm drinking diamond water. Oh, oh, oh. <laughs> what makes it is what makes it diamond? It's just it's just sparkling water. It is. I've decided it, to call it diamond water to feel fancy. You're bleeping diamonds, Michael. <laughs> <laughs> you know what, Andy? We were going to go with a blue drink, and then we figured, you know, if we didn't already own the blue drink, it might be disrespectful to take it. Um, and so we just went with, uh, you know, the, the clear, natural, uh, sparkly water. Mm-hmm. Ah, because both these movies we're about to talk about have water in them, right? Oh, what? what? <laughs> Whoa. Most certainly natural landscapes. Most, most movies have no water. So this narrows it down. Very much so. Dick, our drinks not being blue means that they are crystal clear mm-hmm. mm. like uh mm. crystal pepsi oh boy like crystal pepsi there's or a pepsi whole blue. world of soft drinks that i'm just never going that's, to fully that's understand. gonna be the bedtime story tonight it's all the different <laughs> mm-hmm. kinds oh man yes oh and new coke we got to talk about new coke oh man but Kate, what, is, what do these drinks have to do with our movies? Well, Explain it. Uh, I'm so glad that Andy was already drinking blue Gatorade and we didn't uh, plan it beforehand because blue plus crystal equals these movies. Blue Castle crystal. in the Sky. <laughs> blue Crystal, the movie Blue Crystal. Uh, Castle in the Sky and brrr, our first repeated movie of the podcast, Atlantis, true? The Lost Empire. That is wow. true. We started in season three for it and everything. That's oh. amazing. Oh, yeah. Welcome to season three. Yeah. Wow. Um, yeah, I didn't, we, should, do I need to restyle my hair for like the season three look where it's like slightly different than season two? Mm. I mean, it's just, ideally, you just need to have it grown can, out a little bit more. You can see uh, season. We can't see you. Season four, we're we're doing a whole thing for you, though. Okay, all right. My, I just like, I have like short quarantine hair, so it's yeah. um, that's my season three look. Oh, you've got funny. quarantine hair. Yeah, that's okay. That's, yeah, that's interesting. Most people uh, don't at this point because the quarantine hasn't been going on for very long. <laughs> <All right. laughs> We already said season three. You can't. You can't backtrack. Um, so yeah, this is we we came up with the idea of seasons so that we could maybe repeat some movies. Um, you know, a year after that we'd done them, but we didn't need to. We had so many great ideas from listeners and uh, friends and ourselves uh, the first two years that we did not repeat any movies, but. Now, uh, that's that's all we'll do. We've we've run out of animated movies. You know, that's not true. There are no more animated movies. None, none more none. movies. Um, <laughs> but I'm 
really glad that we're taking a look at Atlantis again because last oh, time me too. we uh, watched it with Treasure Planet and Titan <laughs> and it really <laughs> deserves better. <laughs> it does. I didn't know. I think we spent most of that podcast complaining about Titan A.E. Yeah. and Martin Short and didn't get to talk about Atlantis enough. That's correct. I would agree. Also, <laughs> how was Don Bluth involved in that movie and it was bad? So, okay, quick, quick recap. Hold on. The studio went into another Titan A.E. podcast. The, the studio went under as Titan A.E. was in production. Like, it, they were just hemorrhaging money and didn't have any more coming in. So the movie was supposed to be different. And then they had to outsource it like in the last couple months of production to like seven different animated studios around the world, like just oh, like low okay. rent kind of thing. So it's, it, it explains a lot of the problems that we have with Titan A. But yeah, it, um, the, the three movies that uh, Don Blute was at with Fox animation what was it called dick yeah sure it's like it was like anastasia the anastasia sequel and titan ae put them under that was it like <laughs> oh yeah that was all <laughs> yeah um but anyway we're not talking about titan ae this time thank goodness no. um andy you came up with this pairing um which yes. is one of the reasons you're here although we'd, we'd love to have you on even when you don't come up with the pairings uh you want to speak a little bit about why you put castle in the sky and atlantis together so the obvious one is blue crystals um, Sure. there's a lot of uh reliance around <laughs> MacGuffins and goobers uh that are blue and also crystal-like in nature um, that, <laughs> that should be the um, new. I mean, MacGuffin is a pretty fun word. Yeah, go, into the Spider Verse nailed it with Goober. Um, and so magic crystals that um, make a lot of things happen that shouldn't, um, and then um, strangely parallel enough um, adventure stories where, like, I enjoy adventure stories where, like. You get introduced to the character real quick and like they're just thrown out into the world. Um, so both of those are you kind of start off from a from a place that you understand and see the character at. And then you're quickly just wrapped up in a new world. Uh, I'm, I'm going to add a third thing. The oh, yeah. Main, the main uh, <laughs> idea of the movie and the title of both movies is that there is a lost civilization uh, somewhere where civilization shouldn't be. Yes. Mm. <laughs> the sky or the ocean. <laughs> sea or sky. Um, yeah, I, this is a brilliant pairing. Um, so thanks, Andy, for, for bringing this to us. You're welcome. Would you say as brilliant as a crystal? In the so sky? Sea? In the yeah, <laughs> I don't know. Look. Dick. Uh, what? You, you know what? Are you, what's your experience with Castle in the Sky? Oh yeah, so <laughs> we watched we watched Castle in the Sky um, a couple of days ago, and as I was watching it, it occurred to me that I might not have seen the whole movie. Oh, because I remember a lot about the Castle in the Sky, and that's like the last half hour. Uh, <laughs> if that. The, the rest of the movie, I was like, oh, yeah, this is this is familiar. Or like, yeah, I think I know this. Mm. I, 
I don't know. I I did not recognize as much of this uh, movie as I thought I would. When did you think you had watched it? I, I would have been like in high school. Okay. The last time I watched it. So I also just might not have been paying enough attention. Sure. <laughs> so, I don't know. That's a very real possibility. Yeah. But yeah. I feel like I also, I mean, I'm not a Miyazaki person. Um, certainly not before this podcast. Um, and so like, I feel like I would maybe get it confused with Howl's Moving Castle, which is another mm-hmm. uh, piece of architecture in the sky. No, it's a walking castle. Like the well, title, yeah. the titles aren't Kate. great. Um, anyway, it's not. Uh, it's not a wedged inland permanently. <laughs> that, <laughs> wow. Okay, way to move the goalposts there. It's not tethered to land. It's not you know, tethered. It's a thing that's not tethered, not wedged to land permanently. <laughs> You know, there's the genre: house, movie, castle, castle, sky. Up. Guys, where did your building go? Uh, it wasn't up, tethered yep, properly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you live in the sky now. But it's true. It is true. Okay, um, uh, Kate, what about you? I I learned of this movie when Andy mentioned it for the podcast uh, and saw it for the first time for the podcast. All right, Andy. Oh. um... I don't know what year, but probably high school for me. And then I just like fell in love with it. Um, I've seen this movie. I've lost track of the number of times I'll put it on when I'm having a bad day or just like have it on in the background. Um, So at least 10 years of watching this movie, probably 15. Oh boy. I don't think I, I don't think I knew that. I thought spirited away was like your Miyazaki jam. Mm-mm. I mean, that was my introduction, but like I have a smaller Lapida tattoo and then I got a uh, Calcifer from House Movie Castle recently. Um, uh, yeah. Yeah. Um, so so where, where is Castle in the Sky? It, like first viewing, where is it in your Miyazaki journey? That's uh, I I don't know how to answer that. Um, it, <laughs> like, it like already- flip what is is it your it's is it your first Miyazaki movie? Did you already know that you loved Miyazaki when you saw this? Like, oh, in terms of that's a good question because I was probably what was it two thousand one for Spirited Away? So like I probably saw that first because I was like, oh, it's anime and it's a movie. Um, it was probably after that. I may have seen like Kiki's Delivery Service. Um. And then Palm Poco, which is a really strange Studio Ghibli film. Mm. And then I may have seen Castle in the Sky like after that, but it just like clicked with me. So like it definitely wasn't my first, but it was the one I'm like, oh my God, like this is, what is this? Cool. Yeah. So I'm a pretty big fan. Um. Well, that's great, because I'm definitely not going to ruin it at all with my two-minute plot summary. Oh, yeah. Uh, no pressure here. Kate, can you set yourself a cookie timer? I have set myself a cookie timer. I'm going to start, uh, and I'm going to summarize the plot of Castle in the Sky in two minutes. Uh, 
Nate. At least that's the goal. All right. And Kate, I have yeah. uh, full control here, so I'm going to cut your mic at two minutes. Oh, no. Okay. You better get, you well, better get finished. It's either going to be way less or way more. We'll see what happens. All right. That's fair. Uh, All right. And here I go. Uh, there's a girl. She's on a sky vehicle. And then there's a skirmish. A lot of people want uh, to kidnap her. And then she escapes and falls from the vehicle through the sky. Um, but this like blue crystal thing on her saves her because she just like floats down and then into this boy Pazu's hands because um, he's just there in a mine of some kind. Anyway, um, they become friends and uh, but there are pirates after her. These are the pirates that attack this big ship. And so they kind of like run away from the pirates for a while. But then the military is also after her. So then they got a lot of enemies. But the enemy of your enemy is your friend sometimes. And they eventually get to team up with the pirate because the military kidnaps her for a second time. Uh, they introduce her to this robot. But the robot is from... Laputa, this castle in the sky that people think, mm, this is like a myth, this isn't real, but it seems to be real because they got a robot from it and the crystal is from there. And whoa, it turns out that Sheeta, the girl, is from there too, kind of like her family lineage is from there. So they got to get to Laputa so that the military doesn't destroy it or like. Uh, you know, wring it out of its uh, resources. And then there are more skirmishes on Laputa. And um, the the main military guy takes over and starts, like, destroying a bunch of stuff there. And he even takes over the military. The military doesn't know that he's, like, uh, also of this lineage and wants to be the king of this. Um, and then uh, he's going to destroy a bunch of things. But Laputa and Pazu uh, do a huddle and they save the thing because, oh, no, I don't know why. Um, but they decide that it's better for like everyone to kind of, li oh, that's the timer. Um, everyone to leave the. So Kate's mic is cut off right now <laughs> because I promised that I would do that. Uh, Kate, Unmute. I'm going to let you back. Unmute. Oh, I'm all right. Like, Kate, you're back in. Like finish, one of my finish the story. Like one of my children. I knew how to unmute. Um, yeah, I, it's. That that's kind of so they all so they kind of like self destruct the part of it that they're on and then leave it kind of uh, wandering in the sky uh, to protect the weird Pokemon animals and the moss robots that live there in peace. Kate, you did a really good job of almost getting the characters' names right most of the time, and I'm proud of you. That's that's all. Yeah, <laughs> it, it, there's just a lot of sequences of. Pirates There's and military fighting, so and these much, kids yeah. kind of in the middle, but like not a lot fundamentally changes at the end of each of these battles. That's true. The, They're just kind of like a little closer to the sky. Nothing will fundamentally change. Nothing. Right. They just get like, um, yeah, tossed out of the middle like they're covered in butter. I don't know why that's my only. Uh, anywho, um, covered in butter. Covered in butter. All right. That's weird. Um, yeah. How did so, I do, Andy? <laughs> that, I mean, I would have, at two minutes, I probably would have been like, well, then Patsu let his birds go, but he really liked his birds. So he, <laughs> it was a little hard for him to let them go, but he did anyway for the good of the story. Oh, wait, no, Kate, that's the first time you fell asleep. Yeah. 
Well, I mean, okay. but that's no, that's like twenty There's... minutes into the movie. No, uh-huh. no, 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 no. The dog yes. scene is like in the middle of the robot uh, drama. At least the one I'm thinking of. What? What? Yeah, he has to release the doves when he oh. joins forces with the pirates. When he joins, you fell asleep when he joined Dola when he's changing his life inexplicably forever? Yeah. There was so much robot fire <laughs> battle I mean, going yeah. on. There's yeah. so much. There's so much, but that's why they split it up. They're also, I don't like natural disaster scenes because it's just like one monotonous noise for a while. Like mm-hmm. water filling something up or just fire burning. Um so yeah, that's a lot. I did like how the robot made everything like liquid with his heat ray, <laughs> no matter what it was. Um, <laughs> that was pretty cool. But I'm getting off the point here. Um. Yeah, I Kate, I I think you did a yes, pretty good job. That, that I, was I, did, I just I got good stuck job. on like, wait, how did they? How did how did the resolution come about? And and I'm not sure there is a better answer than. They spoke some words. They huddled. Oh, yeah, they did a spell. They did did a destruction destruction. spell. That's it. Mm -hmm. Because she knows spells from her childhood being a a Laputa. Laputian? Laputian. Laputian descendant. Yes. Um, And in order to know the good spells, you also have to know the worst spell. Yes. You hope you don't have to use it, but, you know, sometimes Voldemort is there and you have to. (laughs) <laughs> right. Um, you have a Lohamora and then a Vada Kedavra. <laughs> Oops. Don't say it. Sorry. So did we do another movie? Yeah, uh, we did. Yes. What movie did we do? Andy, tell oh, us about yes. your experience with Atlantis, the, the Lost, Lost Empire. Empire. Mm-hmm. Um, fantastic. Um, oh, <laughs> I've had a fantastic experience. <laughs> I've had a fantastic. Oh, I thought you were looking for the explanation. Uh, we do it from the top. Um, (laughs) (laughs) friend of the podcast, um, (laughs) we got this. Uh, three three time guest, still a little unclear. (laughs) They're very spread out, so all time, (laughs) still a little unclear. (laughs) Uh, then we do the uh, you know, that other part. Um, Atlantis, I remember. Getting really excited for it. Um, Disney Adventures, when that was a magazine. Oh, yeah. Um, they were like, they were hyping it. It was really just a, like the Disney Twitter account before that existed. Correct. Um, and yeah, I I was really excited to see it and I wasn't let down. Um, I'm trying to think what else. I remember the the toy display at Walmart was pretty impressive because it was all like ocean water blue, which was really cool to look at because that's my favorite color, like cerulean blue. That's neither here not, nor there. But not crystal blue. Not crystal blue, which is different. Or seafoam green. Or seafoam green, exactly. Which is not um, blue. Which is not brick red either. Are we just naming colors at this mm-hmm. point? Seafoam okay. green is a specific. We'll, we'll talk about that on the Aladdin episode. Don't worry. Okay, great. Um, the, yeah, I was really hyped by it. Um, and when I saw it, I was not let down. I just couldn't find a key to action figure. And I really wanted that, but I could not get it. Um, but overall I was really entertained. 
and I think I got a there's a little like plastic baking soda diver from a cereal box that like you put baking soda in it, then put it in the tub. It was like, yeah, it was like these words make sense together. Uh, you know, baking soda diver. I don't. Uh, let me. Everyone else recount your experiences. I'm going to look up what I'm talking about. This might have been a hallucination he had. Uh, Are you trying to say baking soda diverticulitis? No. Um, because that is what came up on my search. I don't know. They had these little toys that you could like. They would rise and float, and I don't know what. Uh... Oh, according according <laughs> to my research, you would use baking powder, oh. which makes way oh, more sense than baking, baking soda. Baking powder diver. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Everyone knows That's what that is. Meant. Okay. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Exactly. We were confused because you said baking soda. Oh my gosh. <laughs> this doesn't help anything. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, Dick, did we both see this movie for our last podcast episode on it, like two years ago? Is that yeah, pretty yeah. much? Um, we knew at that time that uh, there was a main character with a blonde mushroom cut, uh, and that's about it. Yep. Oh. Yep. Michael. So, yeah. Wait. What? Wait. Yeah. Wait. Say it. Hold on. Do you know what Michael J. Fox's middle name is? J. Jeffrey. Andrew. What? <laughs> Andrew Fox. Yeah, that's that checks out. Um, cool. So the J is for no reason. This is. Uh, uh, what? Okay, All right. Um. No, but I was really looking forward to seeing this one again because, you know, even in the sea of Titan AE and like it doesn't take much to be the best movie of the three when the other two movies are Titan AE and Treasure Planet, right? That's true. But like this was heads and shoulders and entire submarines uh, better than both of those. So I was excited excited to give this another look and, um, you know, another watch because it is quite good. Agreed. And I was not disappointed this time either. Agreed. Uh, we need to like get a summary of this. Yeah. I, I guess like, like Kate, you already did one, right? I did. Should I do this? Um, I think I could do this. Whoa! All right, All right. guest summary, guest summary cool. here. Okay, here go. All right, um, I will let you know when I'm starting the cookie timer. Are you prepared? As prepared as I'm going to be. That's correct. All right. Ready, set, go. All right. So we actually start the movie off thousands of years in the past. We see Atlantis being sunk and uh, some man and a child uh, running to safety. And then the child's mother gets caught up by a beam of light. And then we smash cut to the quote unquote present. It's like the 1920s. And this guy named Milo is making a presentation for uh, or is planning to make this presentation for uh, finding the way to Atlantis. So these old fogies at the museum that he works at, uh, they have no interest. So they like move his meeting. And then he's like, I'm going to quit if you uh, don't listen to me. And they're like, we don't care. We're rich. 
Um, so then he does quit, and then when he comes back home, he's accosted by a um, a lady in <laughs> uh, a dark Jenny, apartment. You got, got a minute left. Shit. Um, <laughs> uh, his, Too many details. Big strokes. I know. They go to Atlantis. They go to Atlantis. Uh, the crew's been assembled. They take a sub down. It, the sub gets blown up by Atlantis protocol, and then they journey to Atlantis. They find it, and then they realize that Milo holds the key to uh, helping Atlantis again. And the daughter Kita is, um, man, I'm bad at this. Um, <laughs> is uh, thirty the- seconds. <laughs> <laughs> Kita is the key to uh, raising Atlantis again and protecting it, uh, but there's the military people that they're with want to just take the crystal and run the power source that saved it, but Kita is really the power source, so they steal her, and then Milo and everybody band together and get her back, and then he becomes the new king of Atlantis? It's unclear. Uh, yeah. That Andy, wow, that was like a like a middle school paper. Andy, that was that was amazing. In the first thirty seconds of your summary, you summarized the first forty five seconds of the movie. <laughs> this is it's the trap. This is the trap. If you, it is. He's like, so oh no, I got you. it. You're like, that all is- right, first this, then this. Okay, but it's important that you know this too, and <laughs> yeah, it's so easy to fall into that trap. Good, yeah. good, good job. You you rallied. You rallied. Yeah. I did. It didn't make a whole lot of sense, but um, <laughs> just give me another like six minutes, and we'll we'll have the two minute intro done. Look, if, <laughs> if you're listening to this and you're confused, go back to our other Atlantis episode. We might have explained it better. We might yeah. not have. I don't know. Yeah, unclear. Yeah. No. They were. Or just watch it. It's good. In the in the rescue in the quest for Atlantis, a lot of people wanted a lot of different things, and some of those yeah. people had guns, and some of those people had books, and then. Uh, laser cars. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. La- la- yeah. Laser fish. You know. Laser I mean, fish. Like you. Like you have. Okay. You do. So Disney doesn't say this, but the Wikipedia entry for the term steampunk oh, describes boy. this movie as Disney's steampunk animated feature, uh, Atlantis, uh, the Lost Amp or Disney's animated steampunk film, Atlantis, The Lost Empire. Um, And I feel like these, you know, these robot monsters and laser cars are all part of that. Is that, do I have steampunk wrong? What, what is steampunk? Andy? (laughs) Um, This Wikipedia, you're the the steampunk expert. So steampunk (laughs) is, I don't know. Is this, from what I understand, like, it's uh, more of like an aesthetic thing that like, what if you had old timey technology, but like, um, or like technology of today, but like old timey back in Victorian times. So like mm-hmm. people will dress up in full, like three piece suits and then have like a, a metal bronze hand and then like eyeglasses that are, let them like see different wavelengths or something. So it's kind of the combination of like, what if technology had be had like been wearable back in the whatever old times and um people get really into it and come up with 
what I find amusing names of like like Corporal Featherbottom or something. <laughs> it's all like militarized and all these like different like oh yes, it's Lady Van Wingard or something. Um It's it's kind of a parallel to the Jellicle naming system. I would say so. Right, yeah. like it's it's parallel. It's bunch yeah. of compound words spread out to be many syllables. Yeah, exactly. And it's just I think it's a pretty like vibrant cosplay community, but like there's not a whole lot of story elements that I know of that kind of could like connect anything. So um, it's really just how it's like a vibe. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, exactly. I, I would I would describe it as wild, wild west, but serious. <laughs> oh my god, that okay. Why well, did you let me? Why did you let me stumble through that, Dick? Without... Yeah, I had to think of something clever. Ret- uh, retro futuristic uh, seems to be the word. Um, okay, that... kind of, but don't get confused with the sweet retro future of like the space age because that's not steampunk. But it's that's sim- awesome. like that's the um, Disneyland Paris kind of cognate to Tomorrowland is Jules Verne steampunky, right? Right. As opposed to like the Space Mountain. Kind of like I think 80s. You meant to say steampunky Brewster. Steve. That's correct. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I didn't know that a lot of the steampunk like culture and the terminology actually comes through Japanese works. Um, like manga is doing steampunk as early as the 1940s. Um, it's not coined as a term till 1987, but as I was reading about Castle in the Sky, I guess that movie itself is kind of a one of the big like influences of steampunk newest wave of steampunk yeah the the way you said manga sounded like a mom being like you know oh that that a manga that you have is that (laughs) did i say i think i said it right you you said it right but i understand what andy was saying yeah it's just like (laughs) this means comics i don't know (laughs) um well, speaking of manga and comics, um, I don't, I'm not seeing it on the the wiki, but I know for a fact that um, Mike Mignola, who's the father of Hellboy, um, Hell Dad, if you will, um, <laughs> <laughs> he um, uh, he did a lot of like the the initial drawings for it and a lot of the um, for Atlantis, yeah. yeah, for Atlantis, yeah, yes, <laughs> thank you for that clarification. Um, yeah, yeah. He did a lot of the um, what are the first drawings called of a animation? Like the concept art. Uh, yes. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Um, and if you're familiar with his work, like he, if you look at their hands, especially, especially like the, the humans, <laughs> they're very Mike Bignola y because they're all like yep. squares yeah. and like they have like little curly cues as their um, fingerprints. If you ever like get down to that level of detail but um yeah it's very like angular but also like just very big uh, like blocky people so um yeah. I, the um the backgrounds are really what strikes me too oh, like yeah the way clouds are drawn i'm like oh it's hellboy oh yeah <laughs> <laughs> oh it's hell dad yeah <laughs> i see yeah he's one of the production designers credited um Yes. Earlier on, and then I think we mentioned this last episode too. But my favorite Atlantis story is Mike Mignola seeing the film and be like, "Oh, these hands are really cool." And someone turns to him, they're like, "Yeah, 
they're your hands. Like, <laughs> we had a whole meeting about how to do your hands. Oh, that's why you're a laughing dick. That's... <laughs> oh, that's funny. Oh, it's pretty good. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It, it's before we came in here. Well, I really like this style. Yeah, that's why you draw it. <laughs> but I think it's really interesting that both of these movies use, I mean, definitely they're different visual versions of steampunk, yeah. right? Like the Castle in the Sky looks more like Miyazaki than Atlantis looks like traditional Disney, right? Like the Atlantis steampunk style creates more of a departure from what you expect from the studio. Versus Castle yeah, it's, Sky that's it's like, oh, this is just Miyazaki with robots. That's fine. Like More or less, yeah. There's I'm sure it's out there, but there's probably a timeline of like when all the Miyazaki movies take place that mm-hmm. it's probably um Oh, it's probably around Kiki's delivery service. Sorry, I just <laughs> I I made a mean, deep dive. It's eighty. Do you mean like when do you mean when, like the the movie itself, like uh, like where what time it is set in? Yeah, not like not like when they came out, but like what? Um, and I'm getting real meta here because like Nausicaa, like the first Studio Ghibli film, like that happens kind of like post apocalyptic, so like everything can lead up to that time frame. So they're the technology is relatively the same between Kiki and castle um so uh, oh okay fantastic can i actually uh well actually you andy uh Uh, please do nausicaa is not the first studio ghibli movie what sky is no Mm -hmm. okay this is a technicality uh they were not studio ghibli yet when they made nausicaa so Studio oh. Ghibli—it's it's like most of the same people. It. But yeah. But Castle in the Sky is the first completely oh. Studio Ghibli. Well, thank you for letting me know that. <laughs> I, no, I, that I learned a, that two days ago. And that was really a, that's a great um actually. Thank because. Um. <laughs> I'll look at that at, at another juncture there. Yeah. Um. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. Which? Oh, go ahead, Kate. I think it's neat that both movies use steampunk, um, like in this kind of retro future, like all these kind of gadgets that you wouldn't expect to be in that time or that like look super cool. But they're also dealing with these like fictional lost civilization, right? It's like this explorer mindset. With mm-hmm. the steampunk, like I just, I just think it's interesting that these movies are very similar, like sketched out on paper, right? Th- like major differences in watching them, but like right, it's the know, same. Like steampunk and- novices uh, team up with uh, some possibly nefarious teammates to <laughs> like find and save a fantastical lost empire. It's just, it's interesting that you know two sets of heads put together all those ideas together right and like 15 16 years apart um mm-hmm. i'm sure someone saw a castle in the skies like oh that's interesting 
Like, um, almost definitely, right? Like, <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, like, Miyazaki's been a great influence to, I mean, Pixar when they were getting started. Um, I won't say his name, but... Um, the guy? Yeah. Uh, oh, Huggy Bear. Huggy Bear, yeah, oh. <laughs> who, who should long be out of there. Um, but all the the technology isn't... Maybe more so Atlantis, like the advanced tech, like is there, it's both within these hidden kingdoms, right? Like it's not mm-hmm. everyday stuff. Like they have sky ships and like the, the Dola gang has their awesome little like sky flies. Mm-hmm. I don't know. They're little like bug things. I love them. Yeah. But like, gods. yeah, but everything's like mechanical and you can kind of see how it works right. where like Atlantis tech and Laputian tech is just like fuck you we're magic <laughs> like it's <laughs> gonna happen <laughs> yeah that that's one of the one of my favorite things in castle in the sky is just like it, it almost uh, it, it seems like miyazaki was like okay so let's say we don't have airplanes what would we have instead okay let's say we don't have this what would we have instead and it's just huh. like this divergent thing where it's like yeah. i mean airships airships are pretty uh I, I was saying this as we were watching i'm like oh yeah airships this is uh japan <laughs> in the 80s or 90s yes like that's... airships all over the place all over the place these giant dirigibles that like shouldn't stay afloat because they got little like little hummingbird wings attached to them yeah yeah um but also, I love, I love, like you said, their little like dragonfly, the Dola gangs, oh, the yeah. uh, the pirates like little dragonfly things. I think that's actually what they're called. They operate by like like a dragonfly with different segments of wings flapping, and it doesn't make sense that it would work, but like it's great, and it makes this really obnoxious noise, like it would. Uh-huh. Um, and I just, I, I think it's really cool, just this like thought that went into the world where I think a lesser movie would be like, whoa, what is this dragonfly thing? How does it work? Let's talk about it. Let's make it the center of the movie. But in this movie, it's just like, hey, here's a, a thing. Right. Like, this is a screwdriver. Do you, do you yeah. need to be taught how to use it? I'll just I'll just show you how it, how it yeah. works. You can figure it out. It's not that big a deal. Uh, enjoy. Yes, exactly. I think that goes to like Miyazaki's father was a um he's either in the Air Force or like built planes in that Japan. Makes, that, that, uh, that does make a lot of sense. During the thirties and forties, so he was making wartime planes, but like he was I think his father was pivotal in like reverse sinking uh, like the um, putting planes together in a very like aerodynamic way, because like there's a whole movie, The Wind Rises. It's a lot. But um Yeah, he was yeah. the director he, of he has a technical mind. Airplane. Yes. He has a very uh, Hiao has a very technical mind. Well two minutes. That's... Um <laughs> summarize <laughs> his life. Uh, <laughs> um Do you know there's something called Diesel Punk, which is a spin off of Steampunk? Kate, this is how they get you. This, this is, is how, this is it. This but it's, Laputa Castle in the Sky is listed, but also Treasure Planet. So we've come, we've come full. I was full triangle. Treasure Treasure Planet is more of a steampunk movie than this is. 
Then Atlantis. Then Atlantis. I think I just then, so closely associate Jules Verne. Oh, then Andy, sorry. Then I would what? say then, then Castle and yeah. Atlantis, but I may be too close to Castle to like see anything else. Mm-hmm. Well, I feel like the, yeah, high, the, okay. the high-waisted pants. <laughs> what? <laughs> like I feel like it's like the high-waisted pants, right? Like the new outfit that Sheeta gets from the pirate mom. Uh-huh. Like to me feels very steampunk. Like she's not wearing like goggles and stuff yet. But like Oh, but it's like the feels like the Oh yeah, I get it. Like I see it. <laughs> she's getting dressed up. Did you say the highway has pants? The highway no, has pants. Yeah. Pants. Oh, I'm like, is that a phrase? The highway has <laughs> pants. Like, um, Come on, Eddie, get with it. Come on. The highway has pants. It's like a cars reference I don't know about. Like, <laughs> so you do not get me started oh, on cars. No, I know, no, I know. No. I'm sorry. I, did, I didn't mean to say that. Um, get out of here. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Save yourself. Yeah, the, the high waisted and just like the inexplicable, inexplicable, like, just fashion choices that work i mean they've, they've got those like goggle and leather helmet situations for sure the whole pirate gang yeah i think that's i think that's a venn di- a Sven diagram between um pilots and steampunk though. yeah like we're t- yeah Sven diagram yeah that uh pete holmes has a whole thing about that it's like i always thought it was Sven diagram like someone named Sven was creating these diagrams. All right, re- remind me of that for our next Frozen episode. I do Thanks. think that Ven is a guy's name. You always have to capitalize it when you're writing out Venn diagram. Oh. Legally, yeah. I don't think he's that wrong. It's just a different name. Sven diagram. Um. Consider that. <laughs> so I I want to talk about. Um, yeah. There's there's a difference in pacing in these two movies. Yes. Um, in in Atlant- Atlantis has what I call the Spielberg pace, right? Like it has the same sort of pace as Jaws or Jurassic Park. It's there's a big catastrophic thing, and then we meet our like unassuming hero. He, you know, uh, kind of gets a call to adventure, but he's like learning along the way. And then eventually we get to the big climax and a bunch of cool stuff happens. But uh, uh, Castle in the Sky is, it's like peaks and valleys throughout. There's a lot of stuff happening kind of all the time. And it's, it's very, I mean, it's, it's very different pacing wise, but also like we don't even know if the Castle in the Sky is real and we don't, get there until like the last 20 or 30 minutes of the movie. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's like, I was kind of keeping an eye on the time. It's like, it's 40, like when they go into the cloud. So like, yeah, it's, I, I'm not trying to split hairs, but yeah, it is like the last. It's, it's late in the movie. Yes. Mm-hmm. It's like the end of the third act. Like, oh, I forgot about that. Um, <laughs> oh yeah. Yeah. They got the, the castle in the sky. Oh yeah. That's the, the thing this the is called. Um, <laughs> Yes, the, they're very, they're two very different pacings. I think that's what sets Miyazaki movies and just like, I mean, Japan's a completely different culture than America, right? Like that they just have different sensibilities of what like pacing could be. And I think that's like what keeps me engrossed and coming back to this movie is that like it's, 
it's a full on adventure, right? Like it doesn't like it has its moments and like it does have its very like quiet moments amongst everything, which is really like not an American thing. I feel is to be like, oh, let's actually just have like wind or like very little to do on screen. Mm-hmm. Let's take a breath for a minute. Yeah, and like you have those like very nice moments between Patsu and Shida. And like most animes, like, are they going to be together? Does that matter? Are they just good friends? Like, it's always ambiguous. But I I do feel like for a Miyazaki movie, there is a lot more action going on. Like, I agree with you on that. Oh, yeah. like, it Like, Miyazaki films are very patient, very, like, unhurried, right? Um, yeah, but, it's going like, to... Compared to the ones that I've seen, I mean, right? Like, that whole robot fire scene that lasts for 20 minutes it's like what what is this <laughs> what is going on there's a lot of guns there's, there's a, a lot of a lot of action sequences a lot of battles and it's like you know it's still i feel like it still fits with like the kind of the, the the meander of it all right like none of the action scenes really lead to a very concrete next step like they do they change like small things right like oh now she does with the military and but like they're not like oh the the goal of this action scene is for them to get this object it's just like nope and here's an action scene no yeah and i I, like (laughs) are you saying that's that's just different or you didn't like that or i'm saying it's it's like it still fits it's like an action genre equivalent of the pacing that miyazaki does in other movies where it's like still a meander but there's more flames yes yeah (laughs) and i i think that's like yeah unlike atlantis where it's just like oh like they like their their sub blows up and then like they get to the bottom of the little sink drain the grease trap and then like oh okay new thing we're gonna travel travel we're gonna really travel um, it's so wild, right? Like the first thirty minutes of that movie has so much happening. You see Atlantis oh, yeah. go over you, under. You meet Milo. You like get his quest. You meet all the crew. You, you battle the crew the and like, like yeah. They get on that submarine so quick within the first get, twenty minutes. I want to say, yeah, and mm-hmm. they get through that grease trap, and then it's like the next half hour is just like eating slop in caves. <laughs> right, like, yeah. It's yeah. Just, it's great. But I don't mind it. Yeah, I don't mind it, but it's very odd for like coming out of what Disney has been doing for the last, you know, mm-hmm. 15 years at this or 13 years at this point, um of like a very clear three act structure and this is what happens in the first act and this is what happens in the second, right? Like there's a certain formula to the Renaissance movies and they're just like, "Nope, screw it. We're doing something different here." Which is really fun, but it also like throws you off balance of just like, I, I don't know what to expect next. I- <laughs> yeah. I mean, those hands alone, too. Um, <laughs> yeah, I never thought of it like that, but that's that's very true. I think they were experimenting with something new. And I was just thinking, what if Atlantis had music? I think that would. So. I- like sung like sung music. Yeah. Hmm. Because it does have a good score. Um, oh, the great score. It's yeah, James the, Horner. James Howard. Yeah, Howard. I think Horner James, is Titanic. James Newton Howard, who's done yeah. like everything. Yeah, Olivia he's done Newton Howard. Um, so I learned, and this is a good time, I think, to bring this in. Uh, I learned that the crew wore T-shirts during production that read "Atlantis: 
fewer songs, more explosions. <laughs> um, which is true. <laughs> like, yeah. Check. All good things. Um, but but it's super interesting, right? Because the, the immediate postmortem on this from the Disney company, because this film had underwhelming box office. It wasn't terrible. Um, and like the critical reception was okay, but they just couldn't get people to see it, at least not in the States. Um, and, you know, there's a lot of things happening at Disney this time that they're like, oh, well, people are tired of musicals and people want CG, but that doesn't like, this movie is good, right? Like that explains, this movie is, yes. that explains some other bad things they did during this time, <laughs> like just bad story. But like, mm. I wonder, one of the postmortems that the company took was like, well, we thought that maybe it was time to do something that wasn't a sweet fairy tale, but I guess we were wrong. Um, but I'm not sure that that's necessarily the case, right? Like if they had done like a second or third outing with this sort of style, like this is, yeah. Or I, I, mean, I think they would have, I think they would have refined it enough. Cause like, this isn't like Emperor's new groove. Good. Where, um, you're like having that same event. Well, less explosions in Emperor's new groove, but, um, it's i don't know what my point was there but like it's it's still it's a, it's a solid movie right like it has its pacing issues which i think detract me of like oh i remember this differently mm. from I, when i watched it as a child at least within the last year we've seen both of the movies that you have mentioned and yes. i actually now like atlantis better than emperor's new groove oh interesting the most recent rewatch for me there were a lot of like um there were a lot of cracks that that were showing for me atlantis atlantis may crack which, my top five disney movies which i was surprised with because i love oh. emperor's new group so much but andy i do what, think that what, like, we can also talk after what is it about emperor that doesn't I, hold like, up? I, didn't, I didn't laugh this time oh interesting but i i don't know like maybe it was the mood like neither of us did and we both really like dick's first time was a couple years earlier and we both laughed a lot so i don't i don't know but huh. um I will say that like Emperor's New Groove, at least like it fits into the Renaissance kind of aesthetic better, right? Like the colors yeah. are similar and the characters Emperor. are similar. And even though it's doing something different than your traditional Disney musical, it kind of, you're like, oh yeah, this is a Disney movie. Whereas Atlantis is such a departure that you're kind of not sure. I, so one of the things I wonder if like, if during the Renaissance they had been doing some different kinds of movies and like just, you know, having it kind of be the off part of the year, kind of like what Pixar does now is like, you know, not every movie is going to be your like tear busting inside out. We're going to kind of like mix it up so that you're not always expecting the same thing from us. Mm -hmm. um, and I wonder if Disney had done that during the nineties, whether like you said, like Atlantis being the first movie of its kind didn't do favors for it but if this is kind of like oh and every once in a while we're going to have an action movie without music if that kind of becomes a standard then you're more primed to like be open to a movie like this i mean yeah. i almost i almost wonder if the issue was just a like like hunchback mm. a marketing issue mm. where like if you tell me that there's a awesome like kind of hard-boiled adventure movie uh cartoon i'm like cool and then you're like it's disney i might be like mm, okay mm. but like you know you give it you give it the proper 
you give it the proper uh, uh, promotion and you know maybe that maybe that helps i don't know I, I i don't know why this movie underperformed but i am uh i'm sad that it did because i would love to see more like it interesting that they canceled a lot of like spin-off projects when the movie did poorly huh. um, you still I got think- a directed directed dvd milo's yeah adventure, adventure. And I think they're seriously talking about a live action remake, which I think this would be a really good opportunity for that. Like this, a Treasure Planet live action remake would be. I uh, I don't know about that or any of the stars. You got to leave Martin Short out of it. That movie's got a great first two acts, and then you introduce Mm -hmm. a Martin Short, and the whole thing falls apart. Well, maybe I was onto something that like Treasure Planet came out November '02. Atlantis was summer 2001. Oh, oh, yeah. Oh, one. Yeah. So maybe that was like after Treasure Planet did what it didn't do. Did Treasure yeah. Planet did do better than Atlantis? I don't. Oh, this feels like a, a conversation that we should have anyway, researched. Um, okay. Yeah. But let's. Yep. Let's move on. Let's, let's move on. Um. But I think this would be a really great live action remake because it has, like you said, Dick, like it has a lot of Spielberg type elements where it's like, you know, now they they have the technology to do some of the things that were only available in animation in 2001. um, And it wouldn't have to be too much. I don't know whether then it would read too much like, you know, Avatar or something like that at this point. But um, yeah. No, I Let's, think it would it would have a different aesthetic than Avatar. Yeah, that's fair. So I I want to I want to jump us back into the Venn diagramming, uh-huh. um, because I I think both of these movies have uh, very different takes on uh, war and violence, mm. and I I kind of want to explore uh, explore that because. Castle in the Sky is by far the more violent movie, right? Like there are oh, yeah. explosions, there's dudes getting murked, there's there's all sorts of stuff happening. A lot of robots. But I feel like it's explicitly anti-war and anti-violence, whereas mm-hmm. uh, Atlantis uh you know it's like it's a hey, don't be uh you know, maybe don't kill people, but you know, you do what you want. Yeah, you may get turned into a blue frost monster or I whatever happens. About that. <laughs> oh yeah, Kate loves Kate loves the blue frost monster. No, I was just like, oh, whoa, oh. what is this? What's happening? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, That's what happens to the the captain of the crew that Milo's on, who ends up being a bad guy because he just wants to steal from Atlantis. Um, he turns into like a blue thing basically like a, uh because he gets cut by the crystal that's he, tur- he turns weird. into a scary mr freeze yeah there we go yeah um i guess he turns into a crystal though but um yeah i mean a lot of miyazaki's movies are like <laughs> look how stupid this is but it like in that case it it yeah i think it's a it's more subtle in castle versus other miyazaki movies and i know we're not talking about those but um where where were you seeing that the most in Castle Dick? The the like anti the anti war uh, stuff, yeah. I mean, I I think 
the 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 most like a part of it is like the military is explicitly the bad guys mm, uh, yeah like a hundred percent they have these ridiculous uh like warships and 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 machines of destruction um the like n- no one in the military is portrayed as anything other than a complete idiot who can only shoot things mm-hmm. and like that's their solution to everything is oh let's shoot it um but especially i think the um the the ending like the resolution of this movie is two kids uh like running away from a man with a gun yeah right like Jeez. and they eventually they eventually cast a, a spell of destruction but all it does is like destroy the uh like tech technological parts of the city and it, it keeps like the tree right and, and the nature robot nature survives right mm-hmm. like nature will outlast everyone and like the ethereum crystal is like what they use like that came from the earth um as was it uncle palm they meet this crazy guy that lives in the caves oh yeah yeah right. he's great we should call him nuts yeah he's either crazy or he's just right about everything yeah i mean uh unclear un- <laughs> i would say it's the latter but um um yeah that's it like the 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 children inherit the earth and they find a non-destructive way. No, I'm not going to say that they find a different, they find an alternative to like just shooting everything and pew, pew, pew. Well, and like the whole point of like the pirates were just after the riches. Um, but the whole reason the army was going to, uh, Labuta is to get like, weapons oh yeah because um right yeah uh, muska muska yeah yeah mm-hmm. um played by mark hamill in the that's another we did not mention you watched the english dub right andy yes i've only watched the english dub and we watched and the we... the japanese sub on the kate's pedal. insistence I, uh kate i'm, I'm impressed time watching totoro with the delay, like, it's the most I've ever enjoyed a Miyazaki movie. So I'm like, great, we're doing this now. Like, <laughs> anyway, but yeah, the Mark Hamill villain guy. Um, yeah, his his like he he knows what's up. He's secretly a Lapushin as well as um, Sheeta, and um, yeah, he's like, oh no, we're just gonna start a new era of Lappy to rule because like we have the power. I mean, um, and he is he is using the military, right? Like the military doesn't mm-hmm. isn't aware of what he's actually doing. That's correct. Yeah, right. Like he, cause he yeah. turns on them once he gets the the hologram power. <laughs> oh, very much so. Yeah, he. Um, yeah, that's uh, that's a great point. I don't. Yeah, murderize really about that. Yeah, uh, real quickly. <laughs> It's interesting, Dick. Like, I'm so glad that you brought this up, Dick, because yeah, like the military is part of both expeditions, right? Mm -hmm. Military is part of the Milo expedition as well. Not quite as as visual, but it's like all of those like sand mask 
people are military, right? Well, and the uh, like the guy leading the expo- expedition. Yeah. Tuscan Raiders? The, um, <laughs> um, the uh, I forget her name, the woman who's... Uh, Helga? Helga, yeah, she's like a lieutenant. Um, they, they call each other by their ranks. So oh, they're, yeah. they're okay. military or like ex-military contractors or something like that. So, And like they... Um, oh, I just lost my thought. Um, so, all right. I, so I guess... Is it okay if I take over your yeah, thought? Yeah, no, I, I'll, I'll get, I'll get it. Um, I, I don't see as much war in these movies as much as like military and like it, it, certainly both so movies complex. have a lot to say about colonizing, right? Mm. Um, and it happens to be through the military that both of these um sets of colonizers kind of get their work done. Um. Mm. But I think I think it is kind of inextricably tied to the the fact that these lost civilizations are super self sufficient, <laughs> super doing their own thing and doing amazing things. Even though the castle and the even though Laputa uh, La is, Laputa. Uh, you know, dead. You know, yeah. Kate, I'm gonna I'm gonna take exception to that. I don't think either civilization is doing well. Well, okay, no, that's fair. But they don't need to be colonized. Colonizing is not the solution to them not right. doing well. Right. But there wasn't any I I not to like poke holes in your argument more so like Lapita decided to to abandon their sky city and go down to the people. Okay, like, that what happened. I, I was unclear on how it how people got extinct from Lapita. Yeah, and like that was that was a choice and I think that's another thing about this movie that's like there's just enough mystery about it to be like what the fuck? Like, when did that happen? What happened to all their technology? Why is this thing still here? Right. Like, it just opens up so many more questions. That's so exciting that, like, it would have been ruined by a sequel. But um, it gives um, me real Chrono Trigger vibes in, in a really good way. Uh, yeah, I can see that. Where it's it's the futury Mystic City and I forget what it's called, but. Yeah, there's there's like there's that kind of vibe where it's like there's a bunch of mystery and I'm to- not totally understanding everything and I kind of like that. Mm. Yeah, yeah, but definitely with um with Atlantis, it's that that colonizer vibe or like kind of taking. It's like if Wakanda got abandoned and then people are like, oh yeah, I, let's just I, use like, this stuff. I was thinking throughout Atlantis, I'm like, oh, I need to see Black Panther again. <laughs> like, mm. <laughs> yes, you do that movie. Oh man, that's the best movie Marvel's made because it's a movie movie. Um, <laughs> so good. Um, but yeah, that idea of like this, you know, this civilization figured out everything tens of thousands of years before we think it was figured out, and and yeah, it being isolated, there's some forgetting there, right? And mm-hmm. that's not caused by colonizing, but I definitely feel like there were some intentional parallels between. Um, like indigenous tribes and cultures in this country kind of, you know, being not allowed to learn their languages and the, you know, the languages and the cultures dying out because of um, external factors, right. In, in our country, it's, uh, it's us, the colonizers. Um, Yeah. I wonder how much of that is, is intentionally present in Laputa because like, you know, 
it's I, I don't actually know uh, whether Japan has a history of colonizing uh, or, or not. That's definitely like a piece of American history and a recent piece of American history. Mm-hmm. But I wonder if that's like something that's intentionally present in, um, in, in a Japanese movie or not. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't, I think... I didn't necessarily take that out of Lapita, but right. they don't have as much colonization experience for lack of a better term to my knowledge like they they're definitely like um shitty to their indigenous folk um that live there but i i kind of took the military as like it was all fat men so it was all america uh-huh. um <laughs> which i mean yeah miyazaki's gonna make his statements there and he's not technically wrong um yeah, a lot of cha- a lot of Japanese people that lived through the uh, '40s have negative opinions of American uh, <laughs> the American war machine. I don't understand why mm. the industrial military complex. Uh, I don't know. Well, mm. Mm. I guess we'll never um, figure it out. Uh, next question but, from the audience. Certainly, right, certainly, if it's not specifically about colonization of indigenous peoples, there is a self-sufficient ecosystem that's working on Lapita when they find it, right? Like there's animals and there's these like forests and the robots are the stewards of the land now. And right. This idea of like mining it for its resources means that that society gets destroyed. And so there's still an element of that, even if it's not directly human one. Right. Cause all those fish that live in the, uh, city now which is pokemon foxes yeah which is a uh through animal or a through theme scene yeah. they're in a lot of miyazaki movies there it is oh. nice that's cool yeah he made up a fox yeah. and just kept using it uh-huh it's in nausicaa and castle and i think it'll show up occasionally oh yeah that's definitely in nausicaa yeah yep you've seen nausicaa I have, I, I, I have not. Kate oh, okay. has not. I have seen it a while ago. Uh, I think it's still good. Uh, I don't know what you exactly you would pair it with, but um, a lot of very strong nature themes. Um, I will say about the military in um, Atlantis is that like, I don't know if it was just because like, oh, we need to get along with the story, but like, it didn't really seem like there were consequences and or anyone mm-hmm. from the military wound up dead where like, I feel like Patsu had so many more interactions with the military as well as Sheeta and the pirates that like, they were more of a character where Atlantis yeah. was just like, we're military. Don't you know? And then we're, the yeah. double cross and then other stuff. Yeah. Yeah. I, th- I had another thing to say, but now I forgot it. Um, well, let me ask: is there is there anything else that's like a major uh, theme that we that we want to talk about regarding these two movies? Andy, you wanted to talk about the yes. The piece, I was wondering right? if that was my cue. Um, yes, Milo, uh, Patsu, and Sheeta and Kita. Yeah. Um, so I would say it's a it's a pretty 
sizable theme. I wouldn't say major, but um, that Patsu and and Milo share a lot in common in that like. Wait. Uh-oh. 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 Brain, uh, brain blank. No, I'm, I may be shifting up my theory here. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. <laughs> well, while well, you shift up your theory, let's talk about Kita and Sheeta, because there are some, nope, nope. No, I was just going to say, like, the, the, the characterization of the male and female leads are, mm-hmm. I, I think, like, they're kind of flip-flopped in that, like, both Milo and Patsu are kind of just, like, run-of-the-mill guys that, like, are just trying to, like, see their see their father's, like, dream, like, come to life and make sure that, like, something happens. Uh, and they, like, they're kind of us, right? Like, they're the normal person that gets pulled into adventure and knows all this stuff um, where... Or, like, they have, like, some inkling of how the world works, uh, but they need to be shown more. Whereas Sheeta and Kita both have this, like, power, but, like, don't understand it. And, like, understand it then in, like, vastly different ways, right? Like, Kita essentially has to, like, be possessed in, in order to understand the power of Atlantis. Yeah. And Kita's just like, oh, yeah, the spell of destruction? I know what that is. <laughs> like... I was told this very long ago and told never to use it. So like they both have this phenomenal cosmic power and itty bitty living space, itty bitty understanding. Um, (laughs) So um, my brain farted because like they're kind of opposite characters in that like Milo knows a lot about Atlantis Mm -hmm. and Sheeta knows a lot about um, Lapita and then Kita and Patsu are just like, yeah. Uh, okay. We're we'll we'll go. I got nothing else to do. Yeah, it's it's really interesting when you put it that way. Like Milo is he's the like kind of uh he's the brains. Uh, yeah, like he's us. He's the stand-in for the audience. Uh-huh. But also he knows everything about Atlantis. Yeah. <laughs> so like instead of like learning along with him, we're like learning from him. But also, like, like it's like, oh, yeah, yeah, y'all know about Atlantis. We're going to learn about how to, like, drive a truck. That's the thing Milo learns. Right. Uh, <laughs> yeah. It's, you it's know. Just, you, it's, you, that's a really interesting um, way to kind Atlantis of flip it on its head. Yeah. Oh, say again. Oh, is that, you know, when you learned about Atlantis in second grade? Sure. Yeah. yeah. We all know. <laughs> Yeah. But just yeah. go down the Bermuda Triangle. It's at the bottom. It's fine. Uh, yeah, exactly. Or in the Mediterranean Sea. Somewhere. <laughs> Somewhere. Iceland. Iceland. Iceland, Iceland. Not Greenland. Land. Not Ireland. Not of. Oh, the damn. phonetic letters would work the same. It's fine. They, they um, would. I do. I do like how Milo and Patsu are both, um, like facilitators of the, kind of. They have a little bit of like the the intellectual knowledge but they are facilitators for the for their female counterpart to kind of like take lead and do what needs to be done to save their respective plants right like right milo like does the reading for her and you know gets those like vehicles working and stuff but 
like later on when he's teaching other people how to do it and like the Clemecta moment, he's like, oh yeah, Kita showed me this, right? Like he couldn't have read the instructions on those vehicles if she didn't know where it was and if she right. hadn't already tried, right? So like they yeah, were just yeah, yeah, yeah. the female unlock, which I think is, I mean, it's not necessarily progressive for Miyazaki because all of his leads are like girls. <laughs> Um, yes, there's but a... it is progressive for Disney, so that's good. Um, hey. That it's just you know they're doing the supporting role. They're kind of doing the you know the the bell role in Beauty and the Beast of like, well, let me unlock this thing, and then you take it from there and be in charge of your own destiny. If you um, like yeah, it, it's yours. if you like it that much, it's yours. Uh, not as reverse, but I, I, I thought that was fun. I, but I thought that was cool that like also. Right. Like Sheeta had to do that destruction thing, but it was her choice to say, yeah, I have to do the self-destruct. Right. It wasn't. Yeah. And she, she was, look, she was, it was her choice. And she was like, she looked at Potsu and she was like, do I need to do this? He's like, it's up to you. Like, he was like, I'll, I'll be with you either mm-hmm. way. Mm-hmm. And you decide to do this. And that was, um, I mean, yeah, clearly Miyazaki's a total feminist, which is fantastic. Um, but I was reading an interview with him about him, not like I was talking with him. That'd be great. <laughs> um, I was talking with my friend Yao uh, last week, but he was saying that like any character, like it's the, the female's always the pro tag. And then like they, they get support or they get like assistance mm-hmm. from, but they're never saved by like their male counterpart. Right. It's always like working with versus working like against working for working yeah. for there's, there we go. there's yeah. not a prince that's going to come save uh, uh, any of any Miyazaki characters. No, there's not. There is definitely not as much as Chihiro wanted that. Yeah. And even I feel like Milo, I mean that there's parallel to Atlantis then too, like even Milo staying there. I, I don't think he becomes King so much as just like the queen's partner. <laughs> uh, yes. I, I really, I think they would have a, it wouldn't be matriarch, if you will. Yeah. I have so many questions about sure. what the um, like political structure of Atlantis is, and why did they all stop learning to read? Like, did they not think they needed it anymore? And like, if these people can live for thousands of years, how could nobody remember how to read? Yeah, it. Like that loss of knowledge is kind of fuzzy to me, but similar to all hit their head. Yeah, um, (laughs) when when the wall came up, same time. Yeah, there's 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 some there's some like logic that doesn't totally flow. Yeah, it would it would be one thing if it was like it was a I don't know a character that they lost like like alphabet character. yeah, or some like it was like even farther back, and like Milo's book had the translation. It was like a Rosetta Stone, right? Like because they're like, oh yeah, I just yeah, that's like that's one of the only logic holes that I could find in that movie. It's just like, oh, um, but you live for thousands of years, so unless like you forbid like, it, why didn't your king know how to read? That's that's why you all died. <laughs> in class in king school um. <laughs> uh, yeah there's a lot of that like 
is is Milo now immortal if he's within the boundaries of Atlantis? Or is this going to yeah, be like a tuck everlasting thing where he's going to die and she's just going to keep living on a couple thousand years? Right. Like, is it the, the energy? He's just going to flip. There's, there's a lot. Flip in her life. There's some magic that... Uh, yeah, it's not too think. It's not think there too hard about it. Some magic in um, that old Atlantis they found. <laughs> For when they placed it around his neck, they began to read aloud. Hey, beautiful! <laughs> I'm proud okay. of that one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Is it time for the? Final cut? I think it might be time for the final cut. We're, final making, cut. Up, we're making up Christmas car- carols about <laughs> Christmas characters. This is our Christmas episode. Merry Christmas. Literacy. Uh, the final cut is a series of segments where we kind of go rapid fire through the movies and uh, kind of highlight some things. So we're going to start with mm-hmm. scene shout out. So uh, we're going to shout out. First of all, I'll shout out a scene from Castle in the Sky that stood out to us. And then... At the uh, same for time. At, yes. At, at the, the same time. Yes. A literal shouting match. Uh, good luck. <laughs> it's really good listening. Three, two, no. Uh, Andy, you have a favorite scene in Castle in the Sky, or a scene that we didn't get to talk about that you want to? Or um, my favorite scene because it's the goofiest is like when Potsu's just climbing around at twenty thousand feet just without a fucking care in the world. Uh-huh. And he's just like climbing around and like missing everything so narrowly. I just, I love when he like uses the robot shoot to just like get up into the castle. And like, that's defined so many laws of physics that he's just yeah. like <laughs> holding himself with like his hand, takes his shoes off. Like, Oh, I'm going to get a better grip. So that wait, way. So, so to set up this scene real quick. Oh yeah. He is under he, the floating. He is Hanging from the bottom of the floating city. Of the yeah. castle in the sky. And then runs up like a metal tube to like get... Straight up. <laughs> straight up. So they're in like a... Yeah, like an observation deck. And he's like parkouring, essentially. He's like yeah. holding yeah. onto a ledge that's like a half of an inch wide. And then he like flings himself into this little... Um, the, the robots that are protecting the city could also be activated for war. And... um they got deployed, and then Pachi's like, "Oh well, this is my only way in." And then he like, it's like a American Ninja Warrior yeah. when you uh, have to run up the ramp. Yeah, <laughs> um, but it's great. And then he like squeezes through rocks like he's a worm. Um, just his whole like finding Sheeta inside the castle is just spectacular. <laughs> nice. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Um, I. Liked the, I mean, you know, speaking of how how well uh, Miyazaki treats his female uh, leads, um, when Shida and Patsu are up in the like in the windy uh, part of the the blimp or whatever, like they're on the mm-hmm. the crow's nest, I guess, equivalent of the airship, oh. mm-hmm. and um, they're telephoning down to the. Uh, pirate mom and she's like okay but you're gonna need to do like this to detach and you're gonna need to buckle in this and they're doing it and then and she's like and you're gonna need to switch to the uh, and she's like oh this headset uh this microphone (laughs) right she does like uh, like found the technology that she needed before the person who owns the technology could explain it to her you're gonna, you're gonna need to switch intercom systems oh you mean to this one (laughs) right as she's like as dull as 
saying that sentence like right. the other like phone rings like what right. Hello? like this one it's like that's, yeah that's the sequence yeah um and i just love that like she is just like on top of it like yeah i got this well like you know patsu is you know he figures out a lot of things but he's not quite that that's not his personality um and i just no, i love i love that little moment there's a great line in that sequence too where like what's her name dola is the pirate queen yeah. or mom word. mom Pirate mom, Pirate mom. Um, where Dola is, is, is talking to Sheeta and she's like, no, you have to come down. You're a girl. And Sheeta's like, oh, yeah. so are you. Yeah. That's <laughs> all the same. Yeah. But so are you. It's like, uh, yeah, that's true. <laughs> I, uh, okay. I got nothing else for that. I can't um, argue with that. I can't argue with that. <laughs> Everything. Jake, uh, was that you have a favorite shout out? Yeah. Absolutely. Um, so I'm going to like kind of double back on uh, what Andy was saying earlier about Miyazaki giving things time to breathe. Mm. Uh, and I'll say that my my favorite sequence or the sequence that stood out to me in the movie was um, when um, Shida and uh, boy Shida are um, <laughs> like exploring the city for the first time, the, the, the castle in the sky. Mm. And um, hey, that's the name upon, of the movie. <laughs> oh, um, but they come upon what turns out to be like a grave. And we just like watch as this robot like slowly comes up and like slowly like places a flower and then kind of slowly. And it's just this very patient sequence where like if you if you were in a major studio and they were like, well, this this sequence costs this much money. Justify it. You'd be like, ah, I guess I can't. It doesn't technically advance the plot. We can't use it in the trailer, you know. But like, it's just this moment that builds the um, the atmosphere of uh, of the city, and it just mm-hmm. like th- this movie is is early uh, Miyazaki, early Ghibli, and I, I think it it shows in, in some ways in that like. There's a lot of like, there's a lot of action in this movie, and this is one of the scenes where like, I'm like, oh, I see, I see the man you're going to become, I see the movies you're going to be making. Uh huh. You know, like where like, hey, this is a movie where nothing happens for 20 minutes, but you see the wind blow, and it's the best movie you've ever seen in your life. Oh my god, you see, you see the water lap in and out of on Porco's little uh oh. secret island hideaway. Yeah. Yeah. I could just that could be my screensaver and I'd love mm-hmm. it forever. So yeah, that's that's my that's my scene shout out. Yeah. And just to to piggyback on that. Yeah, um, I'm feeling that um well it's also like what like how intelligent are these robots, right? Like why are you putting a flower on a grave were you assigned to do that or like at a certain point you were assigned to do that? Cause like also around, like they're at the graves, like around the giant ass tree that like is the core of the city. And like, there are decommissioned robots there that have just like their power cells have run out. So like, mm-hmm. what's his purpose? It just, it adds, yeah, that ambiance, that atmosphere and just like, and, and like you said, like a mystery. Yeah. It's like, what? Like, I want to know everything. Do you, like, just, do you think the Iron Giant fell from Lapita? 
Because the first thing I said, I know it's we have a joke because it's not from the movie, but the first thing I said when I saw that first robot was, be good. <laughs> Which is not from the Iron Giant, but, but right? like we don't know where that robot is from, and it looks very, like, I think very clearly, like, you know, Brad Bird and the animation team is influenced by this particular robot design. I don't think. Oh, um, that robot's actually pulled from uh the 1940 superman serial cartoons oh. um not like cartoons uh, about like- superman serial but um there's it's like called like the day of the robot or something that like it's a square robot with like arms that stick out and then it turns into like a makeshift plane and it's huh. like one to one like it's okay. freaky um but yeah i i think that it's definitely influenced from like that um that art deco style um just like it, it retro futurism those robots move in such a i feel like a unique way for robots and animation that the, the yeah parallel to me is oh yeah like it's like they're advanced shit because like their their circuits are a little like creepy crawlers yeah yeah anyway, sorry that was meant to be a like, short aside not a whole like tangent full but... of <laughs> full, what the robots full of they're what full of- ceviche uh raw seafood yeah okay yeah uh, like that they, makes they, sense. Don't, they don't have like normal gears and wires it just looks like seafood to me mm. I don't know. that's yeah, true yeah. maybe okay. that's just me anyway <laughs> moving on hey uh Team Shadows from atlantis who wants to go first i do go. okay i do uh uh the scene where we have a very nice emotional talk around the campfire mm. and everyone's talking like kind of about their history and how they ended up there. Uh, I really love. And uh, our hero Milo is kind of like, Oh, what's the deal with Moliere, the creepy mole man who lives in dirt. Uh, and uh, what is it? Sweet. Is yeah. It the, the doctor? Mm-hmm. yeah. Uh, don't tell him. You told you told me, and you shouldn't have. But don't tell him. <laughs> you don't want to know. It is is great. It's a fun. It's like first off, that moment in general is very fun and nice, and everyone bonds, and I like that. Uh, and then it ends with, uh, yeah. But this one character is is irredeemable. Don't don't worry yeah. about it. <laughs> like you're not going to feel for all these characters. Some of them are uh. right when when Cookie is more. The chef is more like um, relatable and kinder. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Probably mentioned this last time too, but Jim Varney's last role. Mm. Oh. <sighs> I should have one. gone back and looked at what I did as my Atlantis scene shout out last time. <laughs> we if we did, I don't know if we were doing <laughs> that at that point yet. Um, because I feel like I specifically called out like the the scene where Milo is practicing his speech about Atlantis to that he's going to deliver to all these professors, but it's like all of these like skeletons with hats in the boiler room um, is the reveal. Um, I like that scene a lot, but I think I'm going to shout out instead um, something that just caught me re- this time is like Milo and Kita. They've like been hanging out all day, and Kita is 
learning things about their crew as Milo is learning things about Atlantis and um, they like sit down to a feast with everyone. And she's like reviewed. She's like, okay, so you're, so your doctor is named sweet, but he is <laughs> not sweet. He is kind yeah. of kindly. And like, she does like four different things, right? Like the, the, yeah. Uh, you know, the cookie, boiler, the robot expert. Your cookie is not. Right, right. <laughs> and, and Moliere, he is like your dog. Uh, yeah, close enough. Like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I just, I love like the wordplay there and the very like, yes, this would be super confusing if, you know, you're like, she's a fluent speaker in that like she can figure it out because the, you know, the language sources are all the same, but like figuring out all those idioms is, it, it was a very like, just delightfully mundane kind of conversation when all, you know, all the technology is so impressive and the world is so fantastical. And it's just like this, this, you know, like little jokey conversation about synonyms, right? Like I just, I like yeah, that's, that is really nice. It's also really cool that like he is a linguist mm-hmm. and the whole thing is about language. So mm-hmm. it's like kind of his area of expertise, which is, right. which is fun right. to watch him. Flustered in his area of expertise. Yeah. <laughs> Andy, do you have an Atlantis shout oh, out? Oh, sorry. I just got lost on the Cree Summers page, who is the voice of um, yeah. Kida. She is who, an indigenous um Yes. She, I just learned that. Yep. The the Cree people. Um, I think she is not Cree, even though her name is Cree. She is anyway. Plain, no, adopted member of the Plains Cree First Nations. Okay. Anywho, um, the standout moment for me—that was a good one, Kate. That that like that's why that movie lasts because like it has those like very quiet moments again of just like oh yeah like we're all people. Um, the their trek through the like the lost city, uh, like getting to Atlantis itself, like before they have to dig through the pillar or whatever. I think those are just very striking. And again, like castle in the sky, like it gives you just enough information. It's like, Oh, this like, this looks like something that we've seen in like history before, but like it's underground and the whole like firefly thing. Although that's not a good time for anyone. Like that, like these, literal fireflies live underground mm-hmm. and like it was such like a like they made a home for them right like that or maybe that was a structure that like the fireflies made it just it evokes so many questions about like what is this like i would can we just explore this for a movie like <laughs> i'd love to do that so just like they're traveling through there even though it's like 10 minutes if that of the entire movie it's the part I think about the most of just like the scale as well, right? Like they got mm-hmm. this giant yeah. like ground mover and it looks like a little Tonka toy. Anytime you can do like world building uh, in a way that is not explicit, like with those fireflies, it's mm-hmm. like, mm-hmm. this is something really interesting. And I bet if you asked like, uh, one of the animators or the, the storyboard guy or something, or Mike Magnola, right? You'd be like, what's the deal with those fireflies? And they'd be like, yeah, I wrote like a 10 page paper about the history of those fireflies. Oh, yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> I, that's but, exactly right. 
But I didn't that, put a 10-page paper about the fireflies in the movie because that wasn't necessary. But I know what they eat, and I know like how they got there, and I know like this and this and that. How right? they and you the can, fire, yeah. Yeah, and you can you can tell, and it makes you want to know more about that world and be in that world. Yeah, and it endears you to it. I, that's yeah. exactly I, – I have a friend that's running a and d campaign, and she's like, Andy, I – I almost didn't go to bed last night because I was just like writing about my world. Like no one's going to know about it, but like yeah. I got the rules. If anyone asks a very specific question, <laughs> yeah, all right, that sounds great. Nice. Um, but yeah, that's that's exactly that's exactly who works at Disney. Not the corporate overlords, but like the animators. Yeah, we're um, obsessed. Yes. Uh, hey, our uh, next, oh yeah. Go ahead. No, you do it. You do it. Our you next it. segment is MVP, where we each award a single uh, entity with the MVP title. So from one of these films, it could be a creative, it could be a character, it could be a idea. Uh, Dick, do you have any ideas for Cookie. your MVP? What? Cookie. Oh, great. <laughs> Uh, cookie slash Jim Varney. I love Jim Varney. I think he's <laughs> super underrated. Uh, I think uh, for a man that made commercials uh, starring a goofy character to then make like a 10 movie franchise of which like two or three of them are good. Yeah. Uh, like that's, that's pretty impressive, but he has the best voice, he the really best does. delivery. And he knows exactly what character he's playing uh cookie is just like wonderfully like uh i I don't know if self-deprecating is the right word but cookie is gross and he's lowbrow and he feeds everyone slop and he (laughs) he drives like a truck that is also like an old-time chuck wagon um oh yeah he's He's great, and Jim, like, I've never heard Jim Varney give a bad vocal performance, whether it's The Simpsons or Toy Story or here, uh, but I love him in this movie. He made me laugh out loud several times, uh, and I was so happy because I forgot he was in the movie, and as soon as as I heard him, oh, hey, you know, I was like, Jim Varney! (laughs) (laughs) My friend is here. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's great. Yeah. Andy, do you have an MVP? Oh, I don't want to follow that up, but um, hey, Kate, do you have an MVP? <laughs> no, I, I, I do got one. Okay. Um uh Joe Hisaishi, who wrote the music for Castle in the Sky and most, if not all, of the other Miyazaki movies. Yeah, like all. <laughs> like yeah, I've, like all. Um, I've given him, I've given him an MVP before. Absolutely. True. Oh yeah. His yeah. I just I, I I mean I like him better than John Williams um, in terms of variety of music. Um, this isn't time to dunk on John Williams, but um, <laughs> just those. Um, no, that's our next segment. <laughs> yes, I got a lot to say about that. Um, <laughs> French horns. Um, there are other instruments besides woodwinds, John. Um, Sorry, um, Joe has such 
a range of ability. Um, I don't, that's definitely not his real name, but I just saw that he, um, there's a synthesized version of the soundtrack that came out with the movie. And then for American audiences, they re-recorded it because they're like, no one's going to like this. And I actually, I agree with that. Um, (laughs) It sounds weird whenever I come across it on like YouTube or whatever. Dick, you were finding the score jarring sometimes. Of the, yeah, and we watched the it, original. The, so because it sounded synthesized like, to me. Yeah. I wonder if the American. I wonder if the American. Dub, yeah, I think it does. Oh my god, that's interesting. Yeah, because I, I was saying to Kate, I was like, I love this composer, mm-hmm. uh, but this is like, this is like these songs. This music all feels off. Yeah. Because um, I've heard it done. With with an orchestra and it's gorgeous, mm-hmm. but yeah, there were like bits where I was like, "This just this sounds like a like a kind of cheap synth." So yeah. I wonder, if, I wonder if that's what was happening. That's so interesting. Yeah, when it was released I mean, for American audiences, they were like, "They're, they're not going to like it, so let's re-record it." But that would make sense if this is Ghibli's first movie and they're trying to oh, yeah. make money, Ghibli, or they don't. Yeah. They just is it Ghibli? It is Ghibli. Yeah. Um, um, but yeah, like they're trying to save money or they just like, don't know the impact that a live, you know, an acoustic score is going to have. Well, that, that very well could be it that like, um, I mean, Miyazaki is like any creator that's really good at his craft. He's a little standoffish. I won't say like Kubrick level, but like, he's like, yeah, if you're not going to do animation, just you can leave. It's fine. Like we'll find someone else that wants to do it more. Um, which I think is like interesting work. I think um, this is about Joe Hisaishi. Um, his just like moments where like the, the orchestra surges and like you have like the power just like flowing out of the crystal is just, Oh, absolutely um, beautiful and astounding. And then the quiet moments as well, where it's just like minimalistic piano, um, which actually, um, Breath of the Wild kind of captures that minimalistic Hisaishi yes. feel, which is yeah. just like, oh, oh. Um, his real name, though, is uh, Mamoru Fujisawa. So, Oh, I, I, I assumed his real name wasn't Joe. I didn't realize he, had, he changed his last name, too. Yeah, he is a fan of Quincy Jones, and that's why he kind of changed his name. <laughs> what? Yeah. So... <laughs> Quincy uh, Jones became Joe Hisaishi. Quincy pronounced by pronounced Kuinchi in Japanese can be written in the same way that Hisaishi can. So what? and Joe uh, comes from Jones. Yep. Shades of Quincy. Okay, flashes of Quincy. Shade flashes of Quincy. Um, wow. Andy, thank you for sharing that with us. That's a yeah. That's yeah, that's getting detective work that we really love on Summit's podcast. <laughs> I cannot ever not see that anymore since like Flash and Quincy every time. Yeah. One one thing I do I do want to uh, I I know we're going long on this. Um one thing that I appreciate about uh Japanese Quincy Jones is uh also I believe something you mean that, Mamoru Fujisawa. Yes. Uh is is also what I appreciate 
appreciate about John Williams is that I can I can like hum his score. Uh, there are there are like songs that I know. Oh um, yeah, like there he does such amazing. He's not afraid of melody, and I think a lot of people who do scores for movies are like. This just has to be bwam bwam and like you throw that melody in, you give characters a a little light motif, and it just it just brings such a different emotion to the to the movie. He has, dare I say it, slight Danny Elfman. Like Danny Elfman will do that too. I say that very hesitantly, in that like good right like you say that i'm like oh yeah zimmer does that too like zimmer's got great melodies mm-hmm. yeah. yeah when he's not blah blah or using an organ yeah. sure blah. uh <laughs> kate can i deliver my mvp i'm ready oh sorry yeah, it, sorry kate do you want to talk about the the pokemon fox uh <laughs> man that should be my mvp there oh my god it's there. not no no, Whoa. I'm going to go with uh, Truesdale and Wise, who were the directors on Atlantis. Um, they, you know, they almost, you know, they got nominated for an Oscar with Beauty and the Beast. And then they just get like screwed over every other time they direct for Disney. Um, but with poor Mark. Oh, really? They are Hunchback and they are Atlantis. Um, oh. Two excellent movies that were marketed poorly or like didn't quite know what how to market um and then you watch later and you're like oh this is really good like hunchback's got a little bit of like cartoony stuff in it but anyway point is uh i think they're really talented directors and storytellers and um just make this movie so interesting by kind of breaking a lot of rules that they themselves were following for disney um and good good for them also, shout huh. out, I don't know, Dick, if we found this last time, but shout out to Michael J. Fox, who was offered both Milo and, um, was his name, Kale in Titan AE, and he allowed <laughs> he allowed his son to choose which film he would work on, and his son chose Atlantis. So shout out to Michael J. Fox's son. Yeah, he's wow. like the like Breck <laughs> Eisner of Michael J. Fox. Exactly. Anyway, good, we should get that guy to make more decisions in this. But just to, sorry, just to uh, make sure, I don't know if we mentioned, Truesdale and Wise, um, mm-hmm. most famous, uh, Truesdale directed um, both Shrek the Halls and Scared Shrekless. Is that okay. See, after they left Disney, things get a little dicey, but... <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to Shrek it. <laughs> um, all right, our next segment is Crossover. Take an element from each of the films and you put them together to make something new. Does okay. anyone have ideas? I mean, I can go. Please. Oh. All right. Here's oh. here's what happens. I make a new movie um, starring some very minor characters from both of these movies. Uh, those minor characters are the Pokemon foxes, the moss-covered robot. Called from- Fox Squirrels. Fox squirrels, thank you. Uh, from Castle in the Sky, and the like dragon, the the tiny dragons that we see in the background in Atlantis, and are never mentioned by anyone. Oh yeah, oh, yeah. Uh, I want, I want like a, a movie 
of them. And the, you know what? It could it could even be like a nature documentary. I'm fine with it. That's my crossover. Cool. Yeah, it is cool. He said defiantly. <laughs> he said needlessly defiantly. <laughs> uh, uh, Kate, Kate, do you have one handy? I, I think I do. Andy, do you have? I'm I'm kind of blanking right now, so go ahead, All please. Right. I want – this is going to be a little bit more ambitious than just a single movie-to-movie crossover. I want a summit of um, female uh, leaders of uh, lost <laughs> and or, you know, futurist uh, civilizations, right? So you got Kita and you got Shita and you've got is- – Ripley. Is and Furiosa. The Wakanda and... one that's like in a royalty position. Is that Shuri or she's the scientist? Yeah, that's Shuri. Shuri. Yeah, like Shuri, uh, like, who's also in the Disney. Like you can get Atlantis and Wakanda together quickly. But um, yeah, anyway, I think that would be really cool because I think it's uh, neat that these female characters are um, it, it allowed to be in charge of their decisions and allowed to be in charge of the decisions that affect these entire lost civilizations in the movie. They have a lot of, um, they have a lot of power. Um, and like what, what would happen if they meet and like talk about things? I mean, I guess Sheeta's civilization is not, it's just Fox squirrels, but, um, and robots, but that's really the summit of a larger, right. Like talking about the, the issues. It'd be interesting if they were all like kind of sat around and then someone who's kind of like knew that position came in like a fish out of water sort of, and was able to talk to them. And they're all like, well, have you been kidnapped? Uh, did anyone poison you? Like uh, like a real Wreck-It Ralph 2 moment. Sing into a water. Yeah. It's, it, it, Sing into a water. It, it sounds like you're really pitching a Wreck-It Ralph 2, Kate, and I love it. Nice. I'm going to shark it too. <laughs> That With all of his timely references about eBay and Hotmail. Um, uh, yeah, uh, badass female blue crystal summit. I like it. Andy, cross some stuff over for us. Um, Maybe. Oh, this has gone super uh, violent already. No. Um, I'm sorry. I don't really want this to happen. It's the only thing I can think of is that like. Their Laputa and Atlantis were at war for some reason. <laughs> Laputa is the one that shot the final beam. Oh, oh no! Yikes! Yeah, that doesn't. That's not great. That's, oh man! Or they, or they thinking, came to a stalemate. No, one that. retreated to the sky, and one retreated to the ocean. Sure, like we a, can do that. Like that's where they went. Um, they're like, oh, we're retired. Can I? Can I? <laughs> Ahead, I didn't want ahead. a history book about Laputa, Ooh. if I'm going to be perfectly honest. Mm. That's, maybe, maybe that's uh, the crossover I want of the Shepherd's no, Journal like, for Laputa. Exactly. Yes. There you go. Nailed it. Got it. Yes. All right. We can go home. I'm going to throw in a, a quick a quick uh, uh, runner-up, which is uh, – I, I already gave him MVP, uh, but I want to see Cookie and Uncle Palm. Be friends. Oh my gosh, are they not the same person canonically? Or, or actually, you know what? Sorry, I changed. I changed my mind. Uh, Moliere and Uncle Palm. Oh, Moliere is obsessed better, with dirt. Yeah. Uncle Palm is obsessed with listening to rocks. They, love they would either. 
they would either love each other or hate each other. Oh, and then and then you have like a and then you have like a purge type movie for like <laughs> trying to kill each other underground. Andy, what are you doing? I don't know. <laughs> then there's a purge. What? Yeah, what? then there's more of a human centipede and Andy, oh, no. 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 I I think this means it's time for the final I don't, final I don't want to be the Jerry. Cut. The final, final cut, cut, Andy. Final, final cut, cut. Um, and that means where? I, okay, I know it, but I just want to well, hear you say uh-huh. it. Yeah, I'll I'll tell Kate because she always forgets. Um, so this this is the segment where uh, we take each movie and we say whether we would re-release it as is. Like, hey, this movie's great. Just put it back out there. Do some sort of special edition. Like, oh, you know what? Maybe we'll take all the racism out of Peter Pan. Uh, or you have and, about five minutes left of movie, uh, or we just throw it in the vault, never to be seen again because it is of no redeeming value, uh, like Zootopia. Uh, okay. Oh, so Kate, I'm going to start with you, and we'll let we'll let Andy ruminate on this uh, uh-huh. because uh, I like putting you on the spot. It's more fun. Oh, thanks. That's great. Welcome. Uh, so, Kate, uh, let's start with uh, Castle in the Sky, which sure. came out first uh, before the Disney Renaissance. Uh, uh, what do you do? You re-release this? Do you do a special edition, or do you throw it in the vault, never to be seen again? Do you cast a spell of destruction on it? I, <laughs> um, at, like my gut, right, is a special edition, and kind of like shorten some of the battle scenes, or like take out one or two honestly um but i don't know like minute that, 17 to 20 of the robot yeah crawling out it, of the dungeon but like it might mess with like the structural integrity that miyazaki's going for because i know he has a different storytelling a storytelling aesthetic than i do so i i wouldn't want to be disrespectful but yeah i could use like a uh, 50% less uh guns drawn scenes um, and yeah, like, I, I, yeah, yes, that's all. So that's special fair. edition, less, less shoots, less shoot 'em ups. Yeah. I would say more shoot 'em ups turn it into the purge. <laughs> and then. <laughs> Andy, stop it. <laughs> oh, sorry. I didn't realize that. Was so <laughs> making, making Miyazaki so violent. <laughs> um, I mean, look, we're going to do a Princess Mononoke episode at some point. Uh, You're going to get your <laughs> Yes. You're going to get your um, Iron Town all the way. No. Um, oh, I had it, and then I didn't. Re-release Damn Special it. Edition Vault for Castle in the Sky. Oh. Um, yeah, I would just, like, kind of digitize it and try to, like, clean up some of the animation. Um but other than that, like, I would just say keep it, keep it on your make list or whatever companies have that like you just keep on producing it. So I, I would I would just leave it as such. I think it's been digitized in a way that's like it holds up, except for that last scene. So I think it's on purpose that like it's like a frame a second. Did you all notice that? Like when the castle's falling when apart, it's blowing, it just, yeah, yeah, it's just like oh. 
And there's supposed to be more cells in there, guys. Oh no. Oh, okay. It's like um, the scar, like the fight with Scar at the end of line. Yeah. Thing. Does that just kind of like, ah, uh, we got to get out the door? No, there's yeah, a kind weird of like, slow bam. motion for like three swipes of a paw. It's it feels so out of place. <laughs> oh, I'm I'm aware of that. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. Um. Nice. Dick, what do you do? Oh man. Uh, look. Let me tell you. Look. Listen. Um. I I make this a series. Well, is what I do. I think it is a great story. I think it is really interesting. And I think the fight scenes are cool, but yeah, they're endless. There's, there's a lot of them, but like, I can't think of a fight scene that I don't enjoy, right? Like mm. the pirates versus the army is awesome. And, uh, and like the one where the, the pirates are versus the army. Sorry, oh, the, and that the one pirates, where the pirates are versus the army. The pirates versus the army on the train tracks uh, is awesome. Oh, the yeah. robot like waking up and like cutting through everything is awesome. Like all these fight scenes are great, but it's too much for one movie. Mm. But if you did, like, I'm thinking of like Record of Lotus War, which is a, a an anime series I I, I really liked. Uh, in high school i have no idea if it holds up um but like you can do one battle per 30 minute episode mm. right you can like mandalorian this a little bit put a baby yoda in there oh. and uh, fox squirrel yeah put a, put a squirrel fox squirrel in there but yeah i i would say like i i kind of want to see this as a mini series and see what that does to the pacing mm. It might be worse. I don't know. I'm not. A, I'm look. I'm not. Uh, I'm not Mr. Miyazaki over here. I don't know. I'm not a castle in the sky man myself. But <laughs> yeah, I've never Bit put a sign. castle in the sky before. So uh, it, it seems uh. like, though, generally speaking, we like this. Uh, and more people should see it. We should call it. It's great. Just tighten it up a little bit. Yeah. Tighten it up. Oh, <laughs> no, that gets no more, more airtime on the Okay, got it. Oh, sorry. In respect um, for Atlantis. Uh, so what about what about Atlantis? What about Atlantis? Kate, yeah. Kate says vault. Andy? No. What? Re-release, oh, sorry. Go ahead, Kate. Re-release this now. I feel like audiences would be super ready for it. Um, it's a much uh, more welcoming climate to a movie with this kind of like tone and um, – the action and i think it's like i think we said this last episode too it like is almost more relevant now in terms of talking about colonizing and you know keeping traditions alive um mm. who are the people to do that um so yeah re-release i don't mind a live action but like i want a situation where like all my wishes go to that it right like <laughs> Like you can make this live action if you never make any live action ever again <laughs> or live action remake. Um, but yeah, it really is for me. John Favreau. Uh, no. I want to, I want to, sorry, I, I should have mentioned this. Uh, there's one more special edition change I would make to castle in the sky. Um, and that is, I would put in more scenes of adult men lusting after a 13-year-old. Uh, if we could have more of those, that'd be great. Dick, we were wrong. What? We were, so the original scene, okay. So we're watching the, the sub of this, and the 13-year-old girl, I think she's supposed to be younger even in the Japanese version. 
Right. Um, yeah, they aged them like, up for the American. Get some new clothes. And then it appears that, like, all the <laughs> adult males on the ship get, get a boner for her, right? Like, that's. Yeah. But apparently, in the Japanese version, the script is they're looking at her as a mother figure. And it's actually the romantic plot is introduced in the English dub. Is what Wikipedia is telling me. What? But we read it exactly the opposite. We felt very uncomfortable oh. in the original version. Yeah, so well, I don't know if and, and, people, hey, like, to be to be fair, we did not watch the original version. We watched a version with subtitles. That is true. So, that is true. Like, the subtitles might be warping the text in a way. It's early Ghibli, so it's not like it's not probably the best translation. Yeah. And I wonder if that's cultural too. Like, cause they keep saying beautiful well, in the old version. That, right? that very well could be. They, they do that for dubs a lot. Like they'll, they'll use like, um, like they'll say someone's name, but use like the term like brother instead in the, in the, in the, uh, sub and like vice versa. So it'll be like, Oh, Kirito san. It'll be like, Oto san. Um, so it's it's a possibility. I wouldn't rule it out. Well, it, so interesting, right? Like the word "beautiful" is what we got stuck on, but maybe that's just a more common way to refer to a mother figure in Japan. Like we don't say like, "Oh, my mother is beautiful" as an adult. They were man. they were like, obsessed with the idea that she would be like their mom, right? And so when when the like beautiful kind of weird weird scene for us uh came into play we were like ah this is really uncomfortable but it it does it does make sense that that would be like that reads better in the movie too that's more interesting for the movie right because they are all mama's boys absolutely so if they see another mom figure they're like i love it so much they're like call me captain yes mom Uh, well, I, you know what? I rescind my criticism. But it, I, I'm glad that you brought it up because I discovered it while we were recording and I'm like, I don't know. We're talking about too many things. I can't bring this up. I'll just tell you. I really, later, but, yeah. I really appreciate you bringing this up because that makes this, uh, this movie feel, uh, less. <laughs> More. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Uh, okay. So, uh, I'm going to do my, uh, my thing for Atlantis re-release. I love this movie. Just put it back out, put, put it back out a hundred times. Andy. Hundred years, Rick and Morty. Um, <laughs> I would special edition re-release it and add some more time, like getting to know the crew before they mm. die. More more time between Milo quitting his job and getting on the ship. Yeah. Of mm. like, I don't know exactly what, but he could like. I don't know. I, I think if you like met each of them and like at a, like a different location, you know, and then it's like, Oh, you're here. You're here. Yo, you're here. Um, yeah. I don't know if that would be better, but like just more, just more of that movie. I just, I just want more yeah, of that movie. Honestly. Minutes. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I want that movie to be longer. Yeah, exactly. And like maybe explain why no one can read. Um, <laughs> Good. Yeah, just more. I, more, please. Mine. More. Yeah. Mine for the taking. Dig up Atlantis, boys. What a gem. Nice. Well, cool. Uh, yeah. Uh, good. I guess we're done. Good work, everyone. I'm so good work, glad everyone. 
we got a better episode for Atlantis. <laughs> uh, <laughs> You're welcome. So, Andy, Andy thank you, thanks for this pairing. Yeah, is there anything you'd like to plug? What What are you working on? You got um, any movies? You got any movies coming out? You got? Are you writing a book? What do you got? Uh, I just want to say the the lions in the Lion King live action. The the animators did a really good job animating uh, <laughs> the lions. All right, I'm cutting. Wait, I can mute him. I can cut his mic. And- <laughs> Uh, uh, cool. No, nothing to plug, but thank you. Hey. Okay, cool. Well, and and uh, thank you for joining us for this episode too, Andy. It's always uh, thank fun you for to having talk me. To you. Yeah, it's a blast. Um, and I can't wait to dive into the list of Gatorades that I have to learn about tonight. Uh, right now, in addition to the Mountain Dews and the Crystal really Pepsi, there's so much. Um, if you listener have any suggestions for movies that you'd like us to talk about on Cellmates podcast or pairs uh, the way that Andy came up with this pair. Uh, Dick, how can you get in contact with us? Uh, you could do so on Twitter at Cellmates podcast, Facebook at Cellmates podcast, Cellmates podcast at gmail.com. Also, we have a website that I haven't updated in two years. Cool. Uh, so I'm going to contact you via that. <laughs> yeah, don't. It doesn't work. So don't contact no. us via that. Do you want to share your uh, personal numbers so people can get in contact with you that way? Yeah, it's uh, Andy at Andy.Andy. <laughs> oh, 1-800-dot-on-your-life, champ. <laughs> All right. Well, first on my podcast, I'm Dick Ward. Uh, I'm Kate Phillips. I'm Andy, I'm, I'm Andy Phillips. All right. Uh, have a great day. Fruit punch. Debrief the rainberry. Go. Lemonade. <laughs> cool blue. Which one is color. this? What is <laughs> Watermelon <laughs> citrus. Lemon lime. Melon. Frost. Glacier freeze. Mango extremo. Orange. You- <laughs> Green apple. Frost. Glacier cherry. Fierce. Blue cherry. Frost, Arctic Bliss, Frost, okay. Icy Charge, Strawberry Watermelon. That you're talking about Gatorade. Frost, Tropical Mango. But it sounds Berry. so much like Fierce. the Mountain Dew list. Great. Lime Cucumber. Yes, Anne. Frost, Lime Riptide Cucumber Rush. Gatorade? Frost, Cascade Crash, Strawberry Lemonade. Low Calorie, Strawberry Lemonade. <laughs> rain Lime, Rain Strawberry Kiwi.